going on everyone it is chief andrew here with foundations number three the jahari window uh so i was going to do this month's foundations on ethical decision making um which is why this is a little bit delayed coming out but the more i researched that the more it seemed to be spiraling out of control and not really being a good message through this medium um, it's still something I'm working on because there's a lot of good stuff there and I think it's it's really valuable for what we're trying to talk about here at Foundations, but I just need more time to, to figure that one out. So instead, I'm going to go ahead and uh, dig into something similar along the same lines, but also uh, one a suggestion that we got from some of y'all, which is the Johari window. Why is the Jahari window an important topic? Well, this is a topic currently being discussed in each level of the Navy leader development courses. Um, this is because self-awareness is crucial to being a highly effective leader, right? You can be a leader just like we talked about before in power bases. You can just be a leader because of your legitimate power base that you're given because of your job title, right? Like me just being a chief Regardless of whether or not I was self-aware, I'm still going to be technically a leader, but I'm not going to be as effective as I could be if I became more self-aware of the person that I am, the biases that I have, and the perceptions with which I see the world. Everything you do and everything that your followers, peers, and leaders see of you is colored by the lenses with which you perceive the world. What I mean by that is that your core identities of gender, sexuality, race, creed, ethnicity, age, family relations, they shape the world that you see. They shape the world because they shape you, right? That Realistically, unless we're talking about one of the physical sciences like physics or chemistry uh, or like mathematics, the world that you exist in is only a function of a series of perceptions that you have. And those perceptions are not necessarily objectively true. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole since it's not the point of this podcast. But once you open your aperture to this idea that your reality is simply your perception of a reality, it becomes pretty intuitive why you would need to fully understand your own perceptions in order to be a good leader. Without this understanding, without this self-awareness, how can you possibly understand why you do certain things? Why do you get upset when that officer doesn't wear their uniform correctly or when your junior sailor is out of regs? Why is that frustrating? Why do you get angry instead of frustrated? Why do you get frustrated instead of angry? Is there actually something about submitting chits last minute that sends you over the edge? Why? What is it? You know, one of the hardest lessons that I've learned in the past two years since I made Chief is this lesson specifically. Not everything has an absolute value to measure success or failure to. You know, when we were talking about power bases in foundations, number one, we were talking about how, oh, what was it? Was it expert? Expert power bases are based on everything has an absolute value to measure success or failure to, right? But not everything in the Navy has that absolute value. I mean, honestly, in our line of work, it makes sense that the only absolute value worth noting is whether or not we survive the next lethal engagement we get into. I mean, that in uniform regulations, because <laughs> those are pretty cut and dry. But seriously, past, past that, there there's acceptable risks to everything that we do. And that's especially true 
to much of our Navy regarding administrative processes. When you read an instruction, like a nav admin, a CO policy, or a department SOP, it's really easy to assume that everything will be covered in that guidance. But that isn't true. Most of the time, that guidance simply describes your authorized limits, your left and right lateral limits. How far can you go? I tend to describe it to my sailors that the Navy gives us a pretty big box to live in, and the only thing they ask us to do is stay in the box. As long as we're in the box, we can do whatever we want. So how can we possibly know where to go? How could we know where to lead our sailors in the absence of clear and specific guidance? Well, we have to draw on our perceptions and the perceptions of our mentors and leaders um, to give us enough information to make educated decisions on what is the best course of action. As an example of that, I was, am, I am good friends with a top-notch, according to me, first class. Um, she was a very senior LPO in the command at the time of this story, while I was also a first class, and she was also eight months pregnant. Okay, We each had our own strengths, but generally we were on par with each other as far as um, the my perception of what naval leadership is we were we were she was a very good LPO and I thought that I was pretty good too so um, when she went on primary caregiver leave I became the interim LPO uh, I excelled in the job and just as she had right before me and most of that is because we had some incredible sailors at this at this shop and when she returned just before first class evals were due that year. Um, or just just before they were about to get signed. So they were already finished and boarded and everything like that. I was on track for a very good evaluation. Um, when she did come back, the decision was made by the chain of command that she would not be returning to her job as the LPL. And there was no real specific reasons given for that other than I was in the LPO job, I was doing a really good job, and they didn't feel it was right to essentially fire me in order to give her the job back. So, you know, in hindsight, I do believe that the chain of command was trying to do the best thing for all parties involved. Um, you know, if you look at it, if I was booted from the LPO job when she came back, which I, I tend to think was the right thing to do, she should have gotten that job back. But if, if I had gotten the boot from that LPO job, it likely would have sealed any possibility for me to make chief for the next five years, since the evaluations would look like I was fired from an LPO job. But it also flew in the face of everything that I personally believed by effectively firing her from an LPO job simply because she took primary caregiver leave. So uh, what do you do in that situation, right? To make matters even more murky, there was no other LPO position available in the command. So one of us was not going to be an LPO at the end of this scenario. So what would you do in that situation? On one hand, her not getting her job back was beneficial for me since I was now a very high-level LPO and on track for making chief at this current command. On the other hand, the glass ceiling that I'm constantly being told doesn't exist has never been more apparent. So do you make an IG complaint? Would you be able to do that while at the same time sealing any chance you have of making chief until, you know, you're very senior in the Navy, almost retired? I, I'll tell you, I didn't have that. I didn't have the stones to do that, to make an IG complaint. 
What I did do was I decided to approach my chief, who I had a very good peer-to-peer relationship with. It was much less uh, HM1 to chief relationship and very much Andrew to, uh, you know, we'll call him Mark, uh, relationship. I wasn't brave enough to file the complaint myself, and I certainly wasn't comfortable going to the CMC about it, who was ultimately the person making these manpower decisions because he was a brand new CMC at the command. I was a first class, um, brand new to the command. And I didn't really want to pick a fight with that CMC by reporting the problem to the CO. So sparing, sparing the details of like that whole process and what all it went through. Um, I ended up keeping the LPO job that I had before she came back from leave. And um, the other HM1, she was given a pretty good LPO position in a different department. Um, and to be fair, it it was a department that was definitely not as easy to lead as the one that she had had before she took the leave. So, she, you know, she still didn't come out exactly where she left. But in hindsight, I'm just I'm not sure what else could have been done. Right. But here's why I'm telling you this story. No matter which person you think about in this story, there is justification that I can empathize with on why they took the action that they did. There wasn't a good answer there. And in the end, the entire chain of command had to find the best way that they knew how to. And that's the important part, right? Is they had to make a decision and had to make judgment calls based on their perceptions of what was going on. And it might not have been the best option. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this podcast right now that can come up with great suggestions on how else to resolve this issue. But that doesn't take away that the given the given perceptions in this scenario and the biases present in the people making these decisions, the best path forward was developed and implemented, at least that we could come up with. It still, it still doesn't really sit well with me um, but I honestly have no idea what I would do differently. I just, I just don't know. I'm still kind of looking through my Jahari window over it. But um, back to the main point of the podcast, I do want to take a little admin note right here to say that I'm going to be the first to tell you that this discussion we are about to have regarding the Jahari window is going to be more beneficial to you if you have a pen, paper, and can draw this thing out and participate in the exercise as we're going through this podcast um, if you can't because you know you're listening to it on the in the car while you're driving or um, you're you're doing work or whatever that's fine you're still going to get like a really good insight as to why how to improve your self-awareness and leadership abilities from that but um, I would absolutely recommend and encourage you to come back to this uh, podcast when you do have time with paper and pen to actually do this exercise because it's it's highly, highly effective. Uh, and I think that you'll learn some great things about yourself from it. So what is the Jahari window? The Jahari window is a diagram that was developed by psychologists Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingham in 1955. It originally was designed to be used as a personality model in which individuals um, could kind of map out defining characteristics of themselves based on their personal perceptions and the perceptions of others. 
the way that they would do this is they would have like a like in 1955 when they first started it there would be a a bank of adjectives i can't remember off the top of my head how many adjectives they used in the original test but adjectives would be things like uh able or modest knowledgeable smart silly giving happy that kind of stuff and they would give it to the person who was trying to get modeled or who was trying to get increase their self-awareness and they would say hey take these these adjectives and put them in one of the four quadrants they would then however many selections however many words or adjectives the person chose they would go to other participants who knew this individual really well and they would say hey out of this test bank of words there are 20 words that were selected by the participant can you choose 20 words out of this bank that describe them after that they would compare the results of what other people saw and what the person thought of themselves right and i'm going to kind of explain what the quadrants are here in a second but essentially what they would do then is they they would using that information from the people that knew the person as well as the person themselves they would place these adjectives into different quadrants of the johari window and they would give that back to the person and be like hey here you go here's here's some information for you can what are you going to do with this and it allowed people to get a really good under a better understanding of themselves and what uh, made them tick so the navy is currently using it because uh it's useful in increasing your self-awareness right in um uncovering biases that you may have in uncovering the reasons behind why you make the decisions that you make um, and that only increases your ability as a leader if you fully understand yourself better so let's kind of get into to what the actual johari window okay so the johari window is a box that's split into quadrants right a two by two box so it looks like a window <laughs> stick with me here um <laughs> with each quadrant is labeled slightly differently, right? The vertical axis of the model is labeled based on the knowledge or lack of knowledge of a behavior by others. The horizontal axis is based on the knowledge of a behavior by the individual being modeled. I know that probably didn't come off perfectly. So if you are sitting down with a piece of paper and going to be drawing this whole thing out, I'm going to describe each quadrant and what, based on those variables, knowledge of a behavior by others and knowledge of the behavior by the individual um, I'm going to describe each quadrant what we're talking about based on those two variables so the first quadrant which is the upper left quadrant is called the open quadrant right and in the open quadrant that is the things that are both known to self so known to the person getting mapped and known to others um, the given adjective or behavior or observable thing is freely known by everybody involved, right? The, for example, if we were modeling myself based on this persona within this podcast, um, things in the open quadrant would be sailor, chief, corpsman, male, married, um, post-secondary educated, these are things that you know about me and that I know about me, right? Everybody knows them. The next quadrant, which is the upper right quadrant, is the known to others and not known to self. 
So these are things that you all may know about me that I don't know about myself. This quadrant is referred to as the blind one, um, since I'm blind to the knowledge, but you, you may know it. Um, for those poker players in the audience, or even if you're just a fan of the 007 movie Casino Royale, um, these are things called tells, right? Observable behaviors that other people know that the person probably or the person doesn't know. Examples specific to myself in this context uh, would be speech ticks that I don't realize. You know, at the last foundations, the uh, the other contributor here at D Guts was listening to it and he was like, "Hey, this thing happens a lot. Like it was a little, it was a little tick, like a like a uh, I I don't even know how to describe it, a a, a tongue click maybe, but." It was happening a lot, and he's like, be, be careful of that because it can get annoying. So that was in the blind box. I didn't realize that was something I was doing. The When I taught this class, <laughs> this last class, uh, to a leader development course, I was told about another tick that I had where I fiddle with a coin in my pocket when I'm thinking. I happen to know about that one. People didn't think I did, but I happen to know about that one because it's actually a corrective action or, or something that I do to counter one of the other things that I know about myself. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. So it's I just wanted to tell you that somebody was like, hey, I found this thing out. And I'll be like, yeah, I know I do that. And this is why. Um, <laughs> the third quadrant is the bottom left quadrant now. So that's not known to others but known to self. So this is things, this this quadrant is called the hidden quadrant, right? These are things that y'all couldn't know about me, but I do know them about myself. There are things that others would only know if I revealed them. So in our context, it's things like my last name, where I'm stationed, what I look like, um, what are my hobbies, family relationships, sexuality, gender, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the next quadrant, the last quadrant is called unknown since both others and myself do not know what belongs in here. Example of this could be undiagnosed medical issues specific to our context in the military in a deployed environment. There can be a lot of stuff in this box due to communication issues, right? There might be a lot of stuff that nobody knows, uh, about what's going on. Like there might be family issues back home that nobody knows about yet. While there is really nothing that we can do to reduce this box specifically, like we can't focus on finding unknown things and then revealing them, it's naturally reduced by shrinking the hidden and the blind quadrants. Um, but that's kind of in the next session when we actually are going to get to do that. So let's actually use the Jahari window model and kind of the exercise of increasing our self-awareness. So if you're drawing this out, Take some time now by pausing this podcast to fill in the boxes that are known to you, the open and the hidden quadrants. What stuff belongs in there? What is common knowledge? What characteristics of yours fall into each of those two boxes? There's really no wrong answer here um, since they're self-defined traits. All you have to do is put them in the correct boxes. Think about your major identities. Are these identities known to others or not? What about hobbies? skills, experiences? Are there things in your past that define how you operate? Is that something that's hidden or is that something that's known to everybody? Go ahead and take a few minutes now, fill in those boxes. 
Okay, so now that those boxes are filled in, I want you to take some time um, to ponder the things that you wrote down. In what ways do these traits color your perceptions? Because they do, and I'm, I'm telling you that they do. There is no, well, they don't really impact how I see the world. Yes, they do. What you have to do now is look at what you wrote down and find out or dig into them and try and discover how they impact your thought processes. Our bias is formed based on that. This step is to find out how your perceptions are being influenced by these two quadrants. Okay. Once you're done reflecting on that, let's move on into the blind quadrant. I want you to reach out to those close to you. Take some time. Shoot some text messages. It's better over phone call. It's better in person. So try and do that instead. But ask them to provide you some adjectives that describe you. Ask them, hey, is there something about me that you know that you don't think I know? If they give you if they give you adjectives that you already wrote down, well, that's something that's clearly in the open quadrant. If they give you something you hadn't written down yet, hey, that's in the blind quadrant. And that's kind of what they were doing in the original Jahari's window, is they would tell other participants, this person selected 20 adjectives, you pick 20 adjectives and uh, that you think belong in the open quadrant. And if the person who was getting modeled didn't choose one of the words that the other participants chose, then that word would belong in the blind quadrant. The blind quadrant is only going to be as effective and as worthwhile as the amount and, and validity of the feedback that you get. So get as much feedback as possible. It can be really eye-opening. And this is a huge part of how you increase your self-awareness. So now you should have the open, blind, and hidden quadrants filled. Again, the unknown box is not something that we can really fill out because it's unknown. Nobody knows what's there. In all reality, you've already increased your self-awareness just by getting this far. If there's things written down in your blind quadrant already, well, now it's known. it was known by others, but now you know it about yourself. So you've already increased your self-awareness. Um, you may have stumbled on a few things about yourself that you haven't really thought about in a while. This is the best way to grow your self-awareness and leadership abilities. But it's not the last step. The next step is to grow the open box as much as possible. Because just knowing stuff about yourself is not enough to get the job done, right? You have to understand yourself, right? So that you can better understand the decisions you're making and the reactions you're, you're having to any given situation. But if you're gonna effectively communicate or encode your messaging, or if you're going to effectively make good decisions for those around you, the people around you, your followers, your senior leaders, everybody needs to have a better understanding of who you are. Because if they have a better understanding of you, then they're going to understand your decisions and your leadership more than if they didn't. A really good example of that is like, think back to the last time you're, you got a brand new chief, whether you transferred into a department or the chief just transferred in, right? When right at the beginning of that relationship, there was probably some bumps in the road. People were learning more about the chief. Um, your directorate was learning how the chief expected things to be done. But as time went on and you learned more, that open quadrant became larger. The working relationship became easier, right? Because you knew what their expectations were suddenly. And you didn't have to take so much guesswork. There wasn't things in the hidden box that 
like little landmines in the hidden box that you were tripping over anymore. So, so the next step is to grow your open box, right? The more you know about yourself and the more that others know about you will always result in a more influential leader. Now, I am not telling you to go open your entire hidden box like Pandora's box and let everything out into the world. If you can, I mean, that's great, but it certainly isn't expected. I mean, look at our context right now. There's plenty about me that you don't know that's still in the hidden box, but it's okay because it doesn't really matter in this context. Going through this exercise has increased your self-awareness. There is no doubt about it. Hopefully there is at least some stuff in the hidden quadrant that was revealed to you. But how exactly did we increase that self-awareness? How exactly did you expand the open box? Well, first I led you through the self-reflection piece because that's that's half of the Jahari window is, is reflecting on yourself by filling in the open and the hidden quadrants. The expectation then was that you dug deep into yourself, got some things out of the proverbial emotional basement and put them on this paper. You don't have to show it to everyone. This is just for your self-awareness, not necessarily for everybody else's. If you want to in turn grow your leadership skills and provide better context to your sailors, then all right, fine, go tell people about it. But you don't have to. Was there anything in here that you stumbled on? Were there any dusty memories or emotions down there that you hadn't realized might impact your perceptions? That's good. Because that's the stuff you need to be thinking about. A personal example about this. I've been told my entire career that I was cocky. Not confident, which is a desirable trait in the military, right? But cocky, which is negative. I've always known I was confident. Being confident has been in my open quadrant forever. But how was that confidence crossing over into the cocky realm when I asked other people, why was why was cocky in the hidden box, but confident was in the open box? There's really no one way I can truly answer that question since it, you know, the difference between cocky and confident is incredibly subjective. But what I believe to be true is that my communication style, my vocabulary, the speed at which I speak, the intensity of my voice, the volume um, that I can speak and, and the projection that I can do with my voice uh, and, and the inflection that I put into the words and emphasis all lend others to feel as if I'm more aggressive than I intend. And when you combine confidence with aggressiveness or perceived aggressiveness, whether it's real or not, that's what I believe turns into cocky. Boom. Self-awareness has been achieved. Right. But now that I know that it's incumbent on me to try and counter some of those traits to better convey my confidence so it doesn't come off as cockiness. What I do now I tend to put my hands in my pocket and I fiddle with a coin so that I don't talk as much with my hands. I put pauses in my sentences that otherwise don't need to be there to slow down the cadence at which I speak. I try and speak softer. I spend a considerable amount of time practicing what I call listening eyes, eye movement, facial expressions, and active listening cues that invite more input from others instead of trying to shut conversation down. Now that things that were in my hidden box specific to this, right? Being cocky have kind of shifted into the open box because I understand it's not even necessarily cocky. It's just communication style. At least that's what I'm thinking now. Long term, we'll figure out if I'm right or not. But now I understand that I've grown my self-awareness and I'm working to counter the potentially negative trait. Not only that, but I'm starting to actively communicate with those around me about my natural tendencies of talking with my hands, about my cadence, my intensity, and I'm making very clear and upfront that, hey, I am not angry here. I'm not being aggressive. I want this conversation and I enjoy having the conversation with you. So that 
it brings some of these cues into the open box instead of just being potentially hidden where the person is perceiving it, not uh, knowing whether or not I'm aware of it, and coming up with their own assumptions out of that. Once your self-reflection was done, though, I asked you to go find a, the second crucial element of the Jahari window, which is feedback. So first you need self-reflection, but you also need feedback. You cannot open up your blind window without you going and actively seeking out the observation of those around you. And I'm not talking about the people that you're close with necessarily. I'm talking about everybody. You need to be asking junior sailors, your senior leaders, peers, family. You need to be asking your significant others, your kids if they can tell you. All of them should be giving you feedback on yourself and you should be considering it. You should never ever just write it off as like, well, that's just not me. It might be. Maybe it is. And if it's not, what about you is giving that perception? If you don't do this, this blind window is going to stay closed forever. Find ways to get comfortable talking to people about these things. Develop strategies to open that hidden window to other people. Find ways to introduce facts about yourself into the, into the open, right? This allows those around you to get a better understanding of you contextually. Back to that example that I said of the brand new chief coming into the directorate or you or you going to a new directorate. The more you understood about the other person, the more that was in that open window, the better the work and professional relationship got. If they know your experience, they may better understand why you act the way you do. You know, if you had a highly negative experience with a chief before and you tell people about that experience, well, now those people are going to better understand why you're so nervous when you're talking to a chief. If the people around you understand that you have a bachelor's in English literature, they may understand why you're such a stickler for grammar when it comes to evals and awards. With more understanding comes better leadership, period. There's no question about that. So I know it was short, but overall, that's all I got for you today. The Jahari window is a great tool. Um, that you can use to become a better leader. If this is your first time hearing about the Jahari window and you want to actually practice this technique a little bit, I recommend making a plan and doing this four different times once a week over the next month, okay? Once you complete a Jahari window, like for week one, right? Week one, you finish the Jahari window, fold it up and put it somewhere that you're not going to look at it again. In the next week, do a Jahari window, fold it up, put it in that same spot. Do that for four weeks, right? Don't look back at the previous versions while you're doing the next one. At the end of those four weeks, pull all of the four Jahari windows out that you did and find the similarities. Those are core attributes of yours. Then look at the ones that appeared only once and reflect on those. What events were happening that week that made you write down that particular trait? That in itself could open part of the blind box to you. Maybe there's something that happened that week that you didn't even really think impacted you as much as it did. So like I said, that's that's really all I have for you today. So for future episodes, um, again, I might, I, I might keep doing this ethical decision-making one, it's, it's just difficult because of the way that the, you have to have a really good understanding of ethics in order to talk about ethical decision-making. And I'm just not sure that a podcast is the best way to convey ethics. I don't know. It's something that I'm considering. We'll see. Um, but as always, I'm looking for new ideas on what to do for foundations. Number four, number five, maybe. Um, 
please, please, please feel free to reach out to us. Are there any formal concepts you've heard of but want a better understanding? Uh, maybe there's something that you heard of in the leader development course that you would like uh, me to go over on this through this form. I'd, I'd love to. Um, is there a leadership rabbit hole that is just really cool that you know and can point me in the right direction? Do you want to tell me um, that for my third podcast, I'm still doing a terrible job? Hey, I'm for it. Open up. Open up my hidden window. Tell me about it. Reach out at don'tgiveuptheshippodcast at gmail.com. You can also direct message us or interact with posts on Facebook and Instagram at Don't Give Up The Ship Podcast. I promise I'm monitoring all the social media after I, I put out a, a podcast because I'm incredibly interested in what you guys think about me. Um, also on Reddit, DGuts Podcast. Uh, there's a subreddit, DGuts Podcast as well. Um, you can find us on all the major Navy subreddits. Trust me, you'll see us. Um, if you don't, want to reach out to us directly, please, please, please go to social media and interact with the posts. Okay. Um, it just helps algorithms get us out to where we need to be, uh, and makes our posts more visible and, and it could potentially grow, grow this podcast, which is ultimately what we want to do because we want to get the information out to as many people as we can. Um, with that being said, if you want to support us, Go to dgutspodcast.com slash shop. It helps us keep the lights on, pay subscription fees, all that stuff. Um, there's some cool stuff in there like stickers, shirts, buttons. Overall, you get something. Uh, we get to keep bringing you this content. We also get to keep the uh, keep the lights on at the office, which is what we're trying to do without it coming out of our pockets. So um, with that, I know it's been short, but it's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure today with you. Um, Thank you for listening, and as always, don't give up the ship.